Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2 this morning as we consider what the Lord has to teach us through His Word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Last week, if you were here, we saw how that church in Philippi was planted and how the Lord sovereignly and providentially moved around and, and, and planted this church um, in Philippi, defeating the power of the flesh, defeating the power of the enemy, and defeating the power of the world, but also in the midst where those three are abound. So Paul leaves. Uh, we, we finished looking at that, that passage in Acts chapter 16 with Paul leaving, and then some time passes, and Paul now is in prison, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians, which is the, the Philippian church, which is a young church. And here's what God's word says. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you this morning yet again to ask for your grace, to ask for your insight, to ask that you would send your spirit in this place to open our eyes and our minds to the truth of your word, that we would be given the right sense and the right understanding and the right intention of the meaning of your word, so that we may be convicted of the truth that is in it, and we may be conformed by it to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So many times we see um, these opening remarks of these letters in the Bible, right? You know that most of the New Testament is actually letters. We call, we call them epistles. That's a, that's a technical term for it. And the, usually the first few verses are greetings these opening remarks, and we tend to glance over them. It's almost kind of like what we do with genealogies when we read the Bible. You see somebody begot somebody, somebody was the father of somebody, somebody was the son of somebody, and then you see a bunch of verses like that. It's like, I don't see the point why it's there. We just glance over them and find them to, to just be there to fulfill some type of formality, to be there, you know, to because it just needed to be there, and we don't see the reason for it. But the rest of the message, the rest of the epistles, the rest of the letters has so much insight and so much authority for us to consider. And that's usually how we do, right? That we see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, kind of just read it, but it's the meat and potatoes are in verse 3 and on, right? However, we know that it is all Scripture that is inspired by God. It is all scripture it is, that is God-breathed, including the greetings. So the greetings were not 
uninspired, the rest of them were inspired. So I want us to consider this passage in light of that. I want us to, to see, is, is there a real significance to the names of Paul and Timothy being listed in, the, in this greeting? Is there a real significance to that the, the Philippians are, are, are mentioned and then there's the overseers and the deacons? Is there... Is it just a common way that people started letters back then? You know how we write letters today? If you do write letters, maybe emails. Like if you're formally writing it, you would just say, Dear sir, dear ma'am, dear such and such. And then you will address them. And then you finish sincerely, respectfully, regards, whatever. However, that's how we write letters and emails nowadays. Is this just... Just a common way people started letters, and then we were supposed to just look over it? Yeah, it, it was the common way. But there is a significance to it. The Philippians didn't receive a letter, first of all. First and foremost, the Philippian church did not receive a letter from someone they didn't know. They had a personal acquaintance with Paul and Timothy, so it wasn't a stranger writing them a letter. Unlike, for instance, like the Colossians. The Colossian church uh, received a letter from Paul, but he tells them in verse 2 and 1, you, you have not seen my face, but I've heard about you, and I want to encourage you. So receiving a letter from someone that you know personally versus someone you don't know personally, there's... There's a naturally a, a value to that letter and the, and the heart with which you would receive that letter, right? Or as you would say, you know, a letter from somebody that you know kind of hits different than anybody that you may not know from. So this morning I want to show you from this text three significant truths that should shape and that will shape your perspective of God's divinely inspired word. In the first instance, I want to show you that this greeting requires you to do some self-reflection. In this greeting, as you read it, you should be seeing something in this greeting that will cause you to do some self-reflection. I want to draw your attention to the first verse Paul and Timothy, and what do they say they are? Servants of Christ Jesus. How does Paul refer to himself and Timothy? What is Paul's self-reflection and self-perspective? How does he perceive himself? Now, we know Paul is an apostle of Jesus. In fact, he writes many other letters where he introduces himself as Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, called according to his will. Paul, the apostle. Paul, the apostle. We see that. But here, in this letter, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants. So their perception of themselves, their, when they see themselves in the mirror as those who are serving God, they see, if, they see themselves as servants. In fact, some translations like the NASB say it's a bondservant, which is a stronger word than a bondservant. 
I like the LSB and the King James, it actually says slave. And that's the right translation. That's the direct translation of the Greek word that's used here. The Greek word that's used here is doulos. So Paul is saying, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Notice this is not just like a religious, you know, like a churchy kind of reflection of themselves. They're not trying to be politically correct or religiously correct. And, And them referring to themselves as, no, to Paul and Timothy, it is... Clearly, this this state of being a servant, this state of being a bond servant, this state of being a slave is their identity. And he writes this intentionally to the Philippians because he wants the Philippians to clearly see the significance of their identity as a slave of Christ, as a servant of Christ, as a bond servant, as a doulos of Christ. This is a different word, unlike the the word that we would see here at the end of verse 1, deacons, which also means servants, which is is in the same passage. This this doulos word, this slave word, this bond servant, you, you hear the word slave. How many of you are uncomfortable when I say slave? Like, you know, like you're kind of getting triggered even a little, right? Like, you don't want me to say that word because it, it holds a connotation that, is, that has deeper meaning. It highlights this, this, this dependence that the subject, the one who says, I am a slave, or the one that we talk about as a slave, this person depends and is under complete control of the master. And this is to be seen in light of what Paul says about Jesus at the end of verse 2. How does he refer to Jesus? The Lord, the master, kurios, to the doulos in the Greek. So the slave, the servant, in this way, is one who knows and submits to the absolute authority of his master and all that he does and all that he is and is completely dependent on the master. That's the kind of relationship that a slave would have with the master. Unlike the world's view of this word, by the way, it says everybody is kind of little, I got everybody a little triggered this morning. It's okay. The reason why we feel that way is because humanity in, in, in its sinfulness has, has taken that word and corrupted it and, and made it a place for, for sin to abound. But in light of what Paul is writing here to the Philippians, this is not supposed to be taken in the light of the world's view of this word, but to be chosen by God to serve him and to be his slave in this way, that's not a demeaning thing. In fact, it's supposed to be a a privilege. I mean, it's so much of a privilege that Paul says, Paul and Timothy, here we are. This is how we reflect to you. This is how we perceive ourselves. It's a privilege 
to be controlled by God, to be subject to the Almighty God. Because Paul is a servant, is a slave in relation to his master, the Lord Jesus. What he's communicating here is that his service, his, uh, all that he does is to the Lord Jesus Christ and is dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else Paul would write to the Philippians is to be perceived in light of this reality. Everything the Philippians know about Paul and, and, and Timothy, you know, you, you hear Paul and Timothy, you see them, they're, they're in the Bible, and he's an apostle. You've seen him, uh, God, you've seen God use them, or you've read God use him to raise the dead, to cast out demons. We just saw that last week. I mean, he's got power with him and everything else. But he says, no, you've, you've, you've seen me get annoyed and cast out a demon when, I, when, the, when the church was planted, but... You know how I see myself? I see myself as a servant. Not someone walking around saying, yeah, I can, (laughs) don't annoy me. I'm going to cast your demon out of you. So he's not putting himself in another class of Christianity. But honestly, in fact, it's not a lower class of Christianity to be considered a servant. Because to be a servant, to be a a slave, or to be a doulos in this sense, is synonymous with being a disciple. Being a, uh, being a servant of Jesus is not a different, a lower grade of Christianity. Look how Timothy is described in, um, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Or maybe you won't be able to look because it's not up there. Paul came into Deborah and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy here is referred to as a disciple. In chapter 1 and verse 1, he is referred to as a disciple. So if you're a disciple, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're also a slave of Christ. You're also a slave of God. Christ is your Lord because when you become a believer, when you become a disciple, when you become a Christian, your common confession, our common confession is what? Jesus is Lord. So if Jesus is Lord, what does that make you? Lord too? A lower Lord? So this greeting causes us to, to, to reflect about who we think we are, that because in light of who Christ is, Christ is your master. Christ owns your life. Your life depends and revolves around Jesus. You serve the will of Christ. You no longer serve your own will once you become a believer. If you're a true believer, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. In fact, Paul says this in in Romans chapter 8. It's not up there. It's just, just, none of us live for himself. None of us dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, what's the conclusion? Whether we live or whether we die, We are the Lord's. Christ 
owns our lives. No longer us who rules our lives. No longer sin who rules our life. Sin does not reign in your mortal body. If you are a Christian, when you, are, when you come to, to Christ in faith and repentance, sin no longer reigns in your mortal body, according to Romans 6.12. Sin is not a master over you, according to Romans 6.14. You are not a slave to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness. Wow. Would you sign a petition that says, I no longer want to be a slave for righteousness? I no longer want to actually be obedient to do the right thing all the time, in all places, in all circumstances. I I don't want to be a good person. I don't want goodness and righteousness to master over my life. Would you sign a, 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 a petition against that? You wouldn't. So... To to be a slave to righteousness is not a negative connotation. To be a slave of God does not hurt you or does not demean you. It actually increases your value. It it gives you a new perspective on, on life. Being a slave to God through the Lord Jesus Christ is what means to be saved. And to receive eternal life. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin. And have, have become slaves of God. Since you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get. What you get out of being a slave of God. Is sanctification and its end. It's to, to, to be conformed into the image of God, to be purer and purer, to grow holier and holier, to be more righteous and righteous as you live because you have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So this greeting causes us to, to stop and reflect. How do I perceive myself? Am I saying, Manny, the slave of Christ Jesus, about myself? Are you saying, is that how you look at it? And Paul intentionally refers to himself and Timothy, whom the Philippians knew personally and have been blessed by their... These are the church planters in Philippi. I mean, they've seen him at work. They've seen him get beaten. They've seen him, like, they've heard of the story. They've actually been a part of it. Maybe even, like, the jailer that we read about is part of this congregation that is reading this letter. Like, he's seen Paul's just prayer and singing in the middle of the night cause the earth to shake. But he doesn't put himself in this lofty, high view of his own self. He says, no, I'm a slave of Christ. So this greeting causes us to reflect upon our our identities. This is what it means to be a disciple, a Christian. And everything else that we read is supposed to be read in light of that. 
In fact, this word doulos is used one more time. Just a fun fact. This word doulos is used one more time in this, in this passage. If you go with me to Philippians chapter 2, this is a very familiar passage. In verse 5, starting in verse 5, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a doulos. That's the only other place that Paul uses that. And you can draw the connection that Paul is making. We're slaves because we are trying to be like Christ who took the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form. And he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that in the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you read that passage, you read it in light of your own self-reflection that was caused by this initial greeting. Secondly, as you consider your uh, this greeting, you are to regard the content of this greeting and the rest of the epistle really as part of God's special spiritual revelation. This introduction, as Paul looks towards his audience, his, his readers, uh, we, we see a significant truth that is communicated regarding the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word. Although we would identify ourselves as individually as servants and slaves of Jesus Christ, God's truth, however, is revealed, addressed, and, and is addressed in the context of the church. And listen to what God's word says about the church. Or you can look down with me to second part of, of verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. This letter, this epistle, holding the authority of Christ uh, through his apostle is, is addressed and given first to all the saints and Jesus Christ. To those who are set apart. To those who are considered holy. To those who are dedicated to Christ. I mean, their dedication and their devotion and their, their setting apart and to be considered holy... It, they're only as holy as, as it relates to their connection and to their union and to their allegiance of Jesus Christ. They're not holy in and of themselves. They're not saints because they were just born saints. They're not saints because they fed people. They're not saints because they gave money. They're not saints because they 
told less lies and more truth in their lifetime. They are saints in Christ Jesus, in connection to who Jesus is. That's the church. That's the local body that is receiving this authoritative, God-inspired word. Here we see divine revelation through apostolic authority is directed to and for the benefit of the local church. God's word is directed to you as a saint. And it benefits you as a saint. Scripture is is both binding and authoritative and beneficial to those who are set apart in Christ Jesus. Here's a verse that I mentioned in 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 the beginning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. To whom? Look at verse 17, the underline. To the man of God. Yes, it's, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that it doesn't say whoever reads it. It doesn't say who, whoever picks up and, and read it. So that the man of God, the one who has been set aside by the blood of Jesus. The one who has been sanctified. The one who has been saved. The one who has considered a saint in Christ Jesus, the one who is in union with Christ, that's the man of God is referring to, so that they may be completely equipped for every good work. By implication, uh, on the opposite side, is the one who is now united with Christ in faith and repentance. To that person... What we're talking about right now is a bunch of nonsense. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It has no authority to to the conscience. It's not binding. They don't find it beneficial. And maybe this is you. If it is, today is the day of salvation. Come to faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the living word of God, both in his person and his written word. Because the one who is now united with Christ in faith and repentance. Scripture as a whole. And and this letter that we would be studying for the next several months would be foreign. That person's soul will not find peace and grace and help by it. I mean, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. The natural person, this is the person who is not united with Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean the Spirit of God is ineffective because the person doesn't receive it. Just as much as if you deny that I'm standing right here and you say, I don't believe that, that your name is Manny. It doesn't make any difference on my existence. It just makes you ignorant and silly. So it's, it's not saying 
if you don't believe in, in the power of God's word and its sufficiency and its authority, it doesn't mean that you, you somehow negate its power. It just means that you're, you're missing out and you, you just look silly. So Paul continues, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them. This is foolishness, guys, they would say, those that are, that are not believers. Why would you sit for like 35 minutes and then listen to somebody talk about this thing that happened 2,000 years ago about people that we don't even know if they really existed and then build your life on it? This is foolishness, they would say. Why? Because he is not able to understand them. It just talks about their cognitive ability. I mean, not just logically or in, 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 in the human terms. They just, they are unable to understand it because they are spiritually discerned. You need spiritual revelation, revelation that comes from God's own breath, from God's own person to see this and to understand this. And then he goes on saying, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is not judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we, he says, we are the saints to whom this letter is addressed. We have the mind of Christ. The saints who are united with Christ because they are connected to Christ, because they find themselves in Christ, because you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, you have the mind of Christ who can comprehend the words of Christ and the words about Christ, and you can be sub subject to him and to the authority of his word, and you can be helped by it. So that when you're going through tough times, the, the word of God, by the spirit of God, applied to your life, will give you peace and grace, as we will see here in a second. And it's not just, by the way, just, he's not just talking about the church as a whole in a general term. And then some people are exempt just in case that, because we have, we have the tendency to do that, right? I can stand up here and preach to you about, you know, hey, um, this, this word that I'm preaching to you is authoritative over you and it is helpful to you, but I'm exempt. Because, you know, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor. No, that's not how, how he writes it. He specifically says then, not only to all the church and to all the saints, but with the overseers and the deacons. And when the Philippian church reads this, they are aware that the contents of this instruction, the correction that they would get, the teaching, the reproof that this word authoritatively has is just, as applicable to those who lead the church and to those who are serving the church sacrificially to meet the physical needs of the church because of love. That's what deacons are. That's what overseers are. Leaders and servants who meet the physical needs. So no kind of exemption there. The whole church is bound by the special spiritual revelation of God's word. And we see that in this introduction. In this greeting, thirdly, we see 
this greeting emphasizing your need for supernatural reliance. And this greeting in verse 2 more specifically it emphasizes, it highlights, just in case you, you thought that you can get through life by your own kind of trying and by your own work and, and you can live this Christian life. No, this greeting is there so that it will cause you to stop and think how much you're reliant on the supernatural grace and peace that flows from God. You know, in verse 1, Paul is talking more on human terms. He's talking about him, how he sees himself, and then he's talking about the church that he's writing to. So we're on earth, if you will. And then Paul automatically shifts his viewpoint, his focus, upwards. In what seems to be really a common way of greeting for that time. Grace and peace to you. That's how people, I mean, the, the Greeks would say, hey, grace be to you. Hey, good, mo- good morning, if I said today. You'd be like, oh, it's, you're not thinking too deeply about it. It's a common way of introduction, which it is, but I think it's, it's more than that. I think it communicates this, the, the, the reliance of the church on the supernatural grace and peace. And it's there formally. And we need to pay more attention. Now, how would you respond, by the way, if I were, if I were to come up here and greet you when I first got up uh, um, up, here, up here this morning? If I just said, hey, what's good, y'all? How y'all doing? What's going on? Like, versus, I greet you in the name of the Lord and Savior, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One is more formal than the other. One is more authoritative because the way that I'm greeting you, I'm not greeting you as if like we just we just saw each other down at the um, down at the court or whatever. It's like like you're like okay, this is a formal introduction. I mean, we we do that in our lives, and it signifies something. Greetings do matter. You don't walk up to the principal and just dap them up and it's just like yo, what's good, Mister. You don't even say Mr. You just call him by his first name. You won't do that. Or maybe you do. Because you're Gen Z's and Gen Z's do different things these days. Different rules apply. You would look at somebody in the eye. You would shake firmly. And and then you would say, good morning, sir. Or good morning, ma'am. Or something along the lines of that. It's formal. So this is not just a common greeting for that day. It's, it, it communicates a lot more. Looking at the cultural context especially would be helpful for us. Remember where we were last week. We went to Philippi and we saw the, the condition in which the church was planted. The cultural in, in context of, of the church in Philippi, <laughs> they needed divine grace. That comes from God. How do you expect a church that is planted in a society where divination is profitable? You know, like people go and 
and fortune tellers are, are in every corner, and people are enslaving other people just so that they can, they, they can benefit and make profit uh, um, out of their, their, their satanic and demonic um, possession. They're coming around, and they're falsely accusing the Christians, Paul, in this, in this matter, and Silas, and as we saw last week, hey, they're teaching something that's, that opposes what we believe as Romans. And they're causing a riot, they say. They falsely accuse them. They send them to prison. They beat them. I mean, this is, this is where the church exists. They're being slandered. And Paul writes, Good morning, guys. You know, peace be a... Like, no, there's no peace. It's, like, I'm worried about whether or not, like, my neighbor is going to turn me in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to jail. That's the cultural condition, the societal context that the church is in. And Paul is remind them, reminding them, it's the divine grace that comes from God that they rely on for their joy, for their contentment, for their happiness, for even the power to wake up and, and, and live their lives. God is the supernatural source for that. Imagine getting that letter in that kind of condition that we can't meet here in this air-conditioned room and we can't be sit, sitting here comfortably, you know, coffee across and tea and all kinds of snacks and stuff across the hall. You know, we're going to go home and we're going to eat and we're going to live as Christians. Like, that's not the condition that this church is in. Imagine that we're meeting in secret. I can't even speak loud. I have to preach, like, really, really low so that the next door neighbors can't hear us, because if they do, they're going to lock us up. That's the kind of room that this letter is being read. That church needs to be reminded, the grace, the supernatural grace, the joy that Paul is wishing them is, is, is coming from a supernatural place. They're reliant on not something that they, they know about. They're reliant on God's own grace. The God, not just He's divine, their divine authoritative figure, but the God who is their Father. The God who has concern for every soul that hears this message. He is the one who's supplying the grace, the cheer, the joy. And the power. Imagine the kind of comfort and encouragement that brings to the church. God being our Father, who is concerned about us, gives us this favor that we don't even deserve. So that His church may continue to shine His light. To live a life of holiness to live a life as saints in Christ Jesus. Because without God's grace, without being reliant on this supernatural grace, the church in Philippi would not have been planted. 
without his grace, the church in Philippi could not have survived in, in these difficult conditions. In the same way that you and I would not be a part of this church if God wasn't so gracious enough to save us from sin. When we deserved justice and wrath, instead he gave us love and mercy. We would not be the church. I mean, I don't mean the building. I mean each individual who is a true believer. That's the, we're reliant on that supernatural grace to be even considered children of God. And we can't live the next second without being reliant on that undeserved. What, how much have we paid God? What have we done for God to draw the next breath? It's undeserved favor that sustains us. And we're so reliant on that. So reliant on that. And this is what this greeting is reminding the church. Grace comes from God, our Father. And peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. church is reminded to be reliant and rejoice because God is the source of rejoicing. The church is also reminded that it continues to rely on the supernatural peace. Peace does not mean, by the way, this word for peace does not mean just the absence of war or the absence of chaos. It means that, but it means more than that. Because if we are honest... We cannot live in this world without any turmoil, without any kind of chaos, or without any kind of war. In fact, the Christian life is defined as war. We are to be soldiers, right? We are to be killing our sin by the, by the Spirit. We're constantly reminded that the, the language of battle is the language of a Christian. We battle against the flesh, we battle against the, the, the world, and we battle against the, the, the evil one. That's where we are. Even Jesus in his high priestly prayer in, in John chapter 17, he prayed not so that we can be taken out of the world, but to be kept in the world and to be safe inside of that. And then uh, prior to that, he says, peace I leave with you, but not like the world gives. And Jesus gives that peace. Because he is the Prince of Peace. And the church here is reminded that it continues to rely on the supernatural peace that the Lord Jesus Christ supplies. Amidst the turmoil, amidst the, 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 the false accusations and the beatings and the imprisonments and you know the, the evil looks that the Christians were getting in, in Philippi, Paul says, peace. from the Lord Jesus Christ. Priests from God our Father. Paul reminds them that it is only the Prince of Peace that can bring about the harmony between themselves. And in chapter 4 he says, hey, he calls out two believers in the church, hey, these two, these two ladies in the church, let them live in harmony. What kind of harmony? 
this kind of harmony that comes from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that peace that will guard them from anxiety. Right? This is, this is a familiar passage for, for, for all of us in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you know, be anxious over nothing. But instead, prayer and supplication, that's verse 6, it's not up there. We do that so that the peace of God, not the peace of the world and not the peace of our own creation, not the peace that YouTube shorts provide for about like, you know, 35, 45 minutes, even though you just wanted to watch like that one feed or the TikTok, not the piece of TikTok or Instagram, you know, kind of just go away from the reality of the world. You unplug from the reality of the world and then you come back to it and the, the problems and the anxiety is still there. Not that kind of peace, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, the supernatural peace. You're reliant on that. The church is reliant on that. And when you do, your hearts will be guarded and your minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. So when you do your self-reflection, how do you see yourself? Are you a slave, a servant of Christ Jesus? Or is Christ Jesus your slave and your servant? Is Jesus a genie that kind of comes and then you kind of, you know, like you, you just come to his word so that you can, you know, like rub him the right way so that he can do something for you? Or are you coming to his word to be bound by the supernatural by, by the spiritual revelation that you find in there to see what His will is and to be obedient to His will and to be helped by His will and to, to, to receive that spiritual revelation that is listed and presented to you in His Word. And are you reliant on the supernatural grace and peace that He provides? Or are you trying to find your peace and power and joy and cheerfulness from somewhere else? If we just skip over the first two verses of this book, of this letter, we would have missed the importance of this greeting. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are a God of peace and a God who is gracious, giving mercy and forgiveness and provision even to those who don't deserve it. Lord, thank you for meeting us this morning in your word. Thank you for speaking to us from your word that has all authority 
and all benefit that is in it because it comes from you. It is your, the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, cause us as we meditate on this truth, as we are convicted by this truth, as we are reminded of your grace and your peace and your love and your mercy. Remind us to be focused and to pay attention to your Son, Jesus Christ who accomplishes all of these things for us and gives himself up for our sake and gives us this identity that we have in him so that we now are not only children of God, but can be considered servants of the Most High God, to be considered to, to actually be used by you, God. There's nothing about our lives that makes us any more useful than the next person, but only your grace, only your mercy. So help us consider this privilege, not as an entitlement, but as a display of your love and your grace your undeserved favor. Give us the right perspective of ourselves so we may not look at ourselves more than what we are or less than what we are. But in Christ, let us find our true identity. Give us grace, Lord, to be obedient to your word, to be conformed by your word, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we need your mercy, we need your grace, and we need your peace as we live in a time where the name of Christ is being blasphemed, that your presence in our lives is being challenged by our surroundings, people around us, that we are struggling with the things that we hold dearly to ourselves and they are leading us astray from that. Father, we need grace for that. We need to be reliant on your supernatural power. We ask that you bring peace that surpasses understanding so that our hearts and our minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask and we trust that you would receive and answer this petition, this prayer, as we present it to you with thanksgiving and joy for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.